0: recording.
1: This is Live from the Table, the official podcast of New York's world-famous Comedy Cellar, now reopen with shows seven nights a week. We're coming at you on Sirius XM 99 Raw Dog and on the Laugh Button Podcast Network. This is Dan Natterman, co-host of Live from the Table. I'm with Noam Dorman, owner of the uh, world-famous Comedy Cellar and also co-host of Live from the Table, and our producer Periel Ashenbrand. What a show we have tonight. We have uh, a mayoral candidate... Andrew Yang will be joining us a little bit later, uh, but right now we have some things to discuss. Uh, big news in the comedy world, or at least in the comedy seller world. Number one, uh, Comedy Cellar Vegas will be reopening this week, so all you Vegas listeners, uh, check uh, check the website for showtimes and tickets. Also, Noam, what I noticed is that, uh, what's this mint comedy? You've been streaming shows from the, is it from the Village Underground, or?
2: Yeah, that's uh, our friend Mustafa, you know, who um, used to be Chappelle's manager. is still kind of like Dave's right hand man. Uh, he has a, a, a startup company where they're trying to start doing um, live streaming from comedy clubs all over America. I think, not just us. And uh, you know, he's a friend, so I'm trying to help him.
1: So, so uh, you can you can if you can't come to New York and see the show in person, you can stream. The sh- which shows can you stream? Is this up and running? Is- what's going on?
2: Well, it's I only know. live. And I, and I think uh, there's another show. I don't know when the next show is. But it's only live and the shows are watermarked. So if somebody were to try to record it, it actually has the, the account name of the person who uh, recorded it would show up. So hopefully comedians will feel pretty secure in doing material that way. And also if there's, if there's real money, the comedians can make significantly more money.
1: Well, it's, I'm just looking at the website, mintcomedy.com, $7.99 per show. Watch live, raw, uncut stand-up comedy from the world's top clubs. That would, of course, include your club, Noam. Now, um, $7.99 per show. Are you charging, Mustafa? You know, the Jew and me needs to know all the details. Um, and, are you giving him the room for free? And who's keeping the money? And can comedians benefit from this financially?
2: Uh, yes, yes and yes. Uh, he's getting the room for free. Uh, he, he's keeping all the money and he's paying the comedians. I think they're already paying him like $200 a spot just to do these pilot shows on, on top of the regular spot pay.
1: Wow, that's pretty good.
0: Yeah. so
2: um,
1: All right. Uh, and the, and the, as far as the regular spot pay is concerned, and again, this is nobody's business, but I'm asking anyway, because we here at Live from the Table uh, are an open book. Are you paying the Same money that you were paying before the pandemic, even though it's only one third capacity no we're
2: paying less a lot less paying like i think we're paying fifty dollars a spot or or fifty five dollars a spot but every night weekdays and weekends. We have no choice we only have you know forty seats and something like that, and we 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 have to close by ten thirty so I think everybody understands, but as soon as we as soon as we can have So as we can bring in more money, we'll pay. We'll go back to our regular rates. I
1: mean, I've said this to you in the past, even going back to the uh, you know the infamous comedy uh, union strike that we had years ago. Comics are generally not unreasonable. I mean, we understand that you're making significantly less money. In fact, you you just spent a year making no money at all. So did we, obviously. But um, you know, I think
2: comedians are quite understanding. And uh, comics are generally reasonable. Uh, they're generally smarter than average. They're generally more uh, more logical than average. On the other hand, they also do sell themselves short because uh, there's there's very few there's very there's you could totally conceive of club owners selling selling the spots to the comedians. You know, comedians are dying to perform. If if I have a crowded room, a full room, and you you're a stand-up comic, and if I said, listen, I want twenty bucks and you could perform in front of that full room a lot of comics would pay the 20 bucks right so you have this weird bargaining power where actually you're going to get paid but the truth is that the club owner could probably even sell you the spot forget about paying <laughs> you this spot i <laughs> mean
1: i've often said that there should be a class at harvard business school on the on the economics of comedy clubs because it's like a weird dynamic where you it's like we need you and you need us and it's kind of i think that's called a bilateral monopoly and in economics, or maybe, I don't know if I'm using the term correctly, but, uh, but we see that playing out because of the, 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 um, the big stars work for free. The, the bigger the star, the more, the, the less you pay them in, in, at your club, essentially, because right, they right. don't need the money, but they do need to get on stage and, and test their new jokes.
2: Yeah, you're right. And, and I mean, we pay well. I, I don't, I, I don't take that. Um, what I just said, that doesn't enter into my, Thinking when I set the price of what to pay the comics. But I do notice the comics working for less money than they could get in other rooms, sizable rooms. Uh, and I'm like, what the hell? Like, why don't they pay the comics more sometimes? Anyway. Um, by the way, a bilateral monopoly exists when
1: a market has only one supplier and one buyer. Well, that's not quite the situation, but I think there are similar elements. Anyway... Um, I I get an email. Noam sends emails uh, every now and again where he gets hopping mad about one particular issue or another. <laughs> and he was upset because John Oliver, the the talk show host, I don't watch John Oliver. I don't watch him. But but uh, but Noam, I guess he read. So Prince Philip died. You know the uh, the what's he the Duke of Edinburgh, and um, the you know Queen Elizabeth's husband. And uh, apparently John Oliver said, yeah, it's a real tragedy unless you knew unless you knew the guy or unless. Unless you knew something about him, so anyway, Noam got all bent out of shape about that and sent me and Periel an email saying, uh, would, "Would he say when Eddie Murphy dies? Would he say would he say the same thing? Because Eddie Murphy once said faggot, you know, uh, in his act."
0: The problem with those emails is that you can't write back without just getting fucking eviscerated.
2: Yeah, that's where I like to keep it. No, so, <laughs> so, so Prince Philip, you know, I mean, Prince Philip. I didn't know anything about Prince Philip until a week ago, but. He made some Asian eye shape joke in 1986 or something like that, right? And you know, and John Oliver is just, uh, you know, or, or John Oliver didn't mention it, but the articles about it, like this, was part of the case against Prince Philip. This is a man who lived through the war against Japan. Now we all know the way it was perfectly acceptable to talk about the Japanese when they were the enemy, uh, and and the Japanese had a special. They, they lived in infamy because they they attacked Pearl Harbor which you know was the most outrageous of all the the chapters in American history prior to 9-11. Was he was he making that comment about Chinese people or Japanese? The, the that's a good point he's it. making it about Chinese people but I'm just saying like this this and that's that's absolutely a fair point but that he was making this, this kind of like um cultural acceptance of this kind of Joke, and I, I was going to say, but and this is the same time when Jerry Lewis would make what are today obviously offensive caricatures of Asians and Bucktooth and uh Don Rickles would do such things, so I'm not defending any of this, but to hold this against this ninety nine year old man or and comments like this from forty years ago, and then yeah so so if, if that's the standard, then fine, so what are we going to do about the comics that made? much more recent jokes and much more harsh jokes about homosexuality, right? Uh, it's, just, it's just such a picket, you know, when it's convenient type of standard. And that's what I'm reacting to. And this kind of, this whole kind of smug type of humor which just, and I like John Oliver, you know, I, I feel bad saying this, but just this kind of smug kind of humor. Which,
1: very, I mean, he's kind of very smug anyway, John Oliver, isn't he? I don't know much about him, but whenever I hear him, he seems to be, preaching.
2: Yeah. But I don't mind a good smug joke if it holds, you know what I mean? Like if, if, if he really exposes something and and he's, and in that smug joke, he's uh, making a point and he's ready to enforce that point or bring that point to bear. If wherever it it rears its ugly head, I can respect that. You know, some, some people do deserve to be uh, uh, derided, but this really struck me as a, a, just a total uh um, you know, Criticism of convenience, and there's so many more recent examples of people he would never come at like that. And when these people die, he would never make such remarks about them. Now, you know, having said that, he's British, and I, and maybe Prince Philip was a real prick, and maybe I just don't get the whole Prince Philip thing. So that's why it was an email rather than something that I that I brought up on on the show, but I, but I appreciate Dan, that you, you know, just bring up any private email that I sent to you uh, on the show. Well, but you know, before the, <laughs> show, I, before the show, I believe, uh, let me just verify
1: this. I send you a list of talking points you know, for your approval or disapproval and on the list of talking points. And let me just, let me just get the email.
0: Or enough. to ignore entirely. Uh,
1: I believe, I believe one of the talking points was, let me just, um, let me just get the talking point was the prince and the talk show host was the title of the talking point. And it, John Oliver had precious few kind words for Prince Philip who died this week at the age of 99 on Sunday's episode of last week tonight, equip, et cetera, et cetera. So the topic was, I, now it doesn't mention your email in particular, but the topic is. <laughs>
2: <laughs> but anyway, so here's this, I just El- did not know about the, uh, Governor Cuomo uh, once said of uh, uh, the Jews during Sukkot, he said. these people and their fucking and their fucking tree houses (laughs) so like that's that is you know and I'm not I mean I don't like that I guess I don't like that kind of talk but you know (laughs) that's that was just recently where's the outrage about that we're gonna start complaining about king of England or I was
0: outraged and you told me that I shouldn't be
1: yes because well it's not a tree house it's a it's uh, you know technically a
2: tree house is a house built in a tree, not a house built of trees. Listen, this is my this is my point. I think Andrew Yang agrees with me because he defended Shane Gillis, so we can ask him about that. My oh. the truth is that he did. Yeah, uh, we should definitely ask him about that. Real people say off color things right when they're surrounded by people who they believe understand them and can can read the, the entire nuance of the situation. So I might make a joke about Puerto Ricans to my Puerto Rican wife or to my mother-in-law. And everybody understands that I'm in love with a Puerto Rican and I have half Puerto Rican children or whatever. And and it's just a joke, right? And you know, if, if the governor is exasperated with the Hasidic community or something and he says something kind of outrageous and he gets a laugh or he's just blowing off steam, I, I just don't feel that I can conclude from that that Governor Cuomo has any burning animus towards the Jewish people. Now, maybe I'm wrong.
1: I don't okay, know. I saw a, uh, a clip. Of, it made me laugh out loud, a clip of Prince Philip in an interview years ago talking about his son. And they were talking about polo. And he, and he says, well, why don't you play polo? And Prince Philip said, well, you know, there's a certain age, you know, there's certain things. You, but my son is still, my son, of course, is younger than me, oddly enough. But he doesn't look it. <laughs> Just That's first-class humor.
2: <laughs>
1: <laughs> he, he, you know, he's, he's, I don't know how his son would have felt about that comment, but uh, maybe they had the kind of relationship where they, you know,
2: where they busted each other's balls. I don't know, but. Um, and look, and I don't. I, I think I hardly think I'm unique in what I'm about to say. I, I my father was um, deeply committed to, for instance, uh, 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 gay people being treated equally in society. He was deeply offended by the normalized anti-homosexual bigotry, but he'd make a gay joke, you know? So having experienced that, I can't be a total hypocrite and, and pretend that, you know, it was okay for my father, but if I catch someone else doing it, they must be the worst person in the world.
1: How he, how widespread is this Prince Philip hostility? Because, you know, most people, at least on Twitter, they seem to be... Um, respectful and, and um, saddened, you know? I don't know how, how widespread John Oliver's attitude is. I mean, I guess he's not the only one, obviously, that hasn't. I don't know, I don't know.
0: I mean, I think Prince Philip was known to, you know, have this kind of off-color sense of humor.
2: He's kind of the Roseanne Barr of the aristocracy. I
0: think. Well, he, also, <laughs> like, he also
2: famously
1: told a young boy that was overweight and <laughs> wanted to be an astronaut, he said, uh, he, I don't know what he said precisely, but he said you should lose weight or something like and the that. The
2: moon's not really full of green cheese, you know. <laughs> My dear boy. <laughs> My dear boy. Uh, yeah, he was he was that kind of guy, you know.
1: Animal. But um yeah, we, we know so little about the guy because he's just sort of there in the queen's shadow all the time. What yeah,
0: what is that about? Why isn't he a king? Because the queen, because he's not descended from uh, that line, he,
1: he, Queen Elizabeth, it was the, um, I guess the heir, the eldest child of the previous king or okay. something, I don't know how
2: it works, but
1: yeah, Prince
2: Queen Elizabeth's father was the, the, the stuttering, was the one who stuttered, who did the king's speech. George was, or Edward or something? George, and Edward, and Edward was the one who abdicated the throne. No, but, no, 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 Edward, <laughs> Edward died. Do- Died.
1: Queen Elizabeth's father died. He was like a big smoker. I think he died of lung cancer. That's the her queen. That, that's the one brother, who gave the speech.
2: I think her brother was supposed to take over, and he abdicated, something like that. No, no, the one that, that went. He 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 abdicated the throne because he he went for that divorced hussy, uh, uh, Wallace Simpson. That was the, the. That wasn't Elizabeth's father. That was Elizabeth's uncle, okay. and then her and then the brother took over, who was the stutterer. Oh, that George. Was, okay, George. That is, was yeah. Okay. Was
0: that his proper name, the stutterer?
2: Well, I, I, don't, I don't mean the stutterer in a negative yeah, way at all. When on,
0: only when he went on the Howard
2: Stern
1: show, he was called Stuttering George.
2: Yeah, And, and apparently uh, the, the stutter was, was rather exaggerated for that movie, The King's Speech, uh, that the stutter was, was a so mild a I mild think Stuttering
1: John's though. also exaggerated. But uh, I think Stuttering John is also exaggerated. Oh, I don't know. Cause we've but met I, him, he doesn't stutter that bad, right?
2: I don't remember. I I had a roommate in, in, uh, in college who was a stutterer and you know that talk about people who, um, who are afflicted. That is a terrible, uh, burdensome, terribly burdensome handicap because when they're caught in that kind of like deer in the headlights moment where they're trying to get the word out and everybody in the room is aware of it. And they, they must, I mean, they must really, be under tremendous stress. Uh, our, our president, I think, is a stutterer.
0: Yeah, jo- Joe Biden. My best friend from growing up um, is a stutterer. It's an interesting thing. It really is.
2: Well, well, some people, like a comedian that we know, I don't want to say now. Some people have a little stutter, like, they
0: uh, and they'll
2: come out with a word, right? But other people have a, a stutter, a stutterer, which really just stops them dead in their tracks, and maybe seven, eight, ten seconds can pass before the next word comes out. Um, that's. Uh, that's really you have to feel for those people. That's hard. Didn't
0: John Stossel tell us that he used to? He used to, to stutter. Heads? Yeah,
1: yeah, that sounds familiar. Yeah.
2: yeah.
0: Noam, what do you think of the monarchy in general?
1: Do you? I mean, do you think it's a useless anachronism, or do you have a soft spot
2: for it? My suspicion is you have a soft spot for it. I I don't have a feel for it. I I, it's weird, right? I Listen. I like it. I mean,
1: I like it because to me, it's like it's kind of like Colonial Williamsburg. You know, it's like you go and you can see kind of how things used to be, um, which, is why I, which is why I kind of, you know, I kind of, I, I was against the marriage to, uh, to Kate Middleton, you know, because she was a, wasn't of a, a, appropriate standing. And just, I mean, if you're going to be uh, a living museum, you might as well do it right and be racist and crusty.
2: <laughs> no.
1: But- um, What is wrong with you? Queen, like Queen Elizabeth, her, her great-grandmother, great-grandmother was Queen Victoria, her great-great-great- Grandfather was King George, who fought the George Washington. I mean, these people are descended, directly descended from humongous historical figures. I, I mean, I it's fascinate.
0: nonsense, though. It's just figureheads. It's made up. It's all the people fun-
1: in. Je- but so is Colonial Williamsburg. I mean, all right,
0: but right, you're exactly. It's just made up. It's just ridiculous fanfare nonsense. Well,
2: no, it's it's. I mean, yes and no. I, I think that, how long has it existed? Thousands of years? Has, has... I don't know. if Well, I don't know exactly, but it's, I don't know if it's the
1: same line. Like if Henry VIII is a direct ancestor of Elizabeth. No,
2: there's a few different lines because at some point.
1: lines, yeah. So, I, but, but it goes back on, I mean, the first king of England, I guess, probably like, uh, I don't know, probably like the year 1000. First king of
2: England, Athelstan, uh, king of Wessex and the first king of all England. Okay, so, so, so anytime you have something that's been passed down for a thousand plus years, uh, it's it's something, you know. I, I, I mean, listen, everything human at some point can be said, this is all stupid, it's all meaningless, right? But, you know, if I'm not going to be that nihilistic or whatever it is, um, something that's gone on for a thousand years there's, I guess some respect to that, but I, I don't agree with Dan. I mean, it, it is a hereditary monarchy and um, I, I don't think Dan meant it matters what color somebody is, but I mean, I think that it, it would be in, um, to their credit and... I'm uh, just
1: saying, why, why modernize that, which that, who, that which is entire value is based on kind of being a throwback? Or at least that's how
0: I see it. Because... It's probably more valuable to just get rid of the whole thing.
2: No, no, they don't need. I, I, listen, there's no. They don't do any harm, do they?
0: Yeah, I well, they think cost, that,
2: they cost money.
1: But other than that, they cost money that the British seem more than willing to spend. You it's know. like
0: it's like a caste system. The British monarchy. Yeah. But they have why? Because you're not, so, you're, you're, they're like on like a different level than other human beings. It seems so ridiculous to me. You have to bow and curtsy uh, people, when you meet the people queen.
1: Like to, people like to be submissive, not just in the bedroom. <laughs> but society at large, people enjoy, you know, your majesty, the queen, fight for, it's, it's a throwback to their heritage of back when, you know, they, they fought for king and country. And I think they, I mean, I don't know what percentage of English people enjoy that but a large enough percentage. Uh,
2: I would say it's largely entertainment and culture and um it's 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 a, like a living santa claus and uh, I don't think it does any harm it, it, unless unless and I think it's significant unless they actually um in, engage in, in in poisoning people's minds in some way in racist ways or whatever it is in which case they actually do do harm. I don't really know enough about that whole situation, but I, I think in general English, England kind of likes their, even if they bash it, it's just part of who they are. You know, I'm sure there's other examples, Americans doesn't like Japan, it. doesn't Japan still have an emperor? Uh, uh, they
1: might, but Americans yeah. like it too. I mean, what kind of ratings did Oprah get, you know, from the American public when she interviewed Harry and Megan? I mean, we love it. We loved, uh, I, I, haven't entirely gotten over the death of uh, princess, uh, Diana. Um, uh, you know, um, well, I, mean, I, I guess I'm over it, but but it's that was sad to me, and I did like Diana.
0: She was special though because she kind of broke ranks. That well, was sort of why we liked her. She we didn't know rep- she.
2: We didn't know she broke ranks. did wait until after she died.
1: Yeah, I mean, well, you know, at the beginning she didn't break ranks, and yet her her wedding was huge ratings on American television in eighty or eighty one or whatever the hell that was. She was eighteen, I think, at the time. Um, like she was 18? I believe so when she married. And he was like 30 and he was kind of a stick in the mud, you know. There's that famous interview where, where uh, they ask, are you guys in love? And Prince Charles said, well, what is love really?
2: <laughs> but anyway. I watched, that, I watched that show, The Crown. Did you, have you seen it on Netflix? Uh, I saw just the Diana years because that's all that was
1: really of interest to me. It's but, really but good. If they, if they do another season with Meghan and Harry and all
2: that, then yeah, I'm, I'm all in. I'll watch that. Has anybody seen The Judge? Uh, no, I'm sorry, Your Honor, the show Your Honor? No. Uh, Who's with with, with uh, the guy from uh, Breaking Bad, what's his name?
0: Bryan Cranston? Bryan
2: Cranston, yeah. Well, I, I I would uh it's one of these shows that's it's just absolutely awful, yet you want you once you get hooked, you cannot stop watching it because you just need to know how this whole thing is going to turn out. I mean, the plot holes and the the unbelievable scenes and the the, the way they drag out a show, which could have really just been a two-hour movie with a pretty good premise, into like an eight or ten episode, just well, they drag soap everything.
1: But I mean, oftentimes, like especially on Netflix, they'll 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 do a series based on a book, and then when the book ends, they're making too much money. They don't, you know, so they do another season. But the but it's already this, you know, it's all wrapped up in a nice but in a nice bow. But they want to make more money, so they they do another season, and uh, you know, it's 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 never good but you know it's good enough to get the
2: ratings by the way I, I read that netflix has lost one third of their subscriber base did you see that why because um, of all these other streaming channels there's competition now hbo max uh paramount uh uh you know amazon prime i think that um it's been a while since netflix has had uh, like um, has had like a a must-see TV, like House of Cards.
1: Netflix is just horrific. I mean, but Netflix, the quality, you know, it's the, the quantity is so enormous. Of yeah. sh- I just can't believe, like how? First of all, I can't believe that I haven't gotten a role in something. And see, they're making so many shows. Uh, you know, I'm shocked. Ooh, I'm, that, better. I'm shocked that everybody currently is not, uh, you know, an actor on a Netflix show. That's how many shows they have, but especially okay. me who's
2: supposed to be in show business. But, I, I will uh, recommend I, I'm sorry, Perry, I'll go ahead.
0: No, you did have a role on a show. You were I was in, on what? HBO, but I'm, I oh, that was on HBO. Crashing, right. HBO.
1: But uh, The point I'm making is, is why am I not working more? But that's the point I've been making for 20 years,
2: even before Netflix existed. And I think it was a valid point then, even more. It was, so it was even more so. Yeah, um, I saw this, this documentary on WeWork on oh, Hulu. Yeah. This is fantastic. Everybody needs to watch this documentary on WeWork about this guy, Newman, I forget his first name, he's really good. Adam,
0: Adam Neumann, I used to work Neumann. with him.
2: Oh really, I'm surprised you didn't come on to him.
0: Ew, handsome, Gross.
2: handsome, charismatic dude.
0: Um, we can talk about that on a different show, but Andrew Yang is here.
2: Yay. Great, okay, good, good, because
1: we've, I mean, let's face it, how long can we talk about Hulu?
0: All right, ready, <laughs> I'm letting <laughs> let him, him in.
1: Let him in. Dan, you introduce him. Well, of course I will introduce him, because you know that, that that's sort of my thing. Let me, get, let me call up the, uh, the introduction. All right, I'm
0: gonna let him in though, okay? Okay, uh, should I give him the
1: long intro? Or the no, sh-
0: g- give him the short one that I sent you today.
1: Sweet. Okay. Here he is, ladies and gentlemen. One of the biggest names in politics today, Andrew Yang. Here he is. Buffering, buffering, buffering. He'll be here. Drum roll, please. And he's gone. What happened?
2: (laughs) He heard what you said about Meghan Markle. Okay.
0: Let's see.
1: Well, I was only half serious. But (laughs) I I, I do think that the royal family, you know, I I mean, they they have traditions and. uh,
0: Wait, if he doesn't come back, do I still get credit for booking him? Unfortunately,
1: no. no. (laughs) Unfortunately, you do not. And why would you, really? but i suspect he'll be back uh, try, so so uh, i guess text him or how have you been communicating with him
0: wait hold on
2: by the way so who did you i i i um did he did we take too long to let him in
0: no i let him in immediately did you
2: do something wrong carol did you blow it
0: oh my god <sighs> I, I, everything is automatically my fault it's not just, like he had a faulty all right, all right, all right. connection. You sound
2: like my wife.
0: Just
1: remember that we well, have- Well, your to
0: wife him. often has some very good points. Just remember, we have to ask
1: him about why politics is like comedy and Jay- Shane Gillis.
2: Is often, uh, are you supposed to pronounce the T? Never, I've never really been quite clear on that. What? You,
0: you can do it often either Often or often. Either, either way. way. Yeah,
2: it's either way. Either or either way. Either way, either way. What about Arkansas? Is it Arkansas Ar- Ar- or Arkansas? Arkansas. I to that question, what about what about Missouri? Is it Missouri or?
0: It's Missouri. Andrew was just here, but disappeared. Um, it's Missouri. Oh.
1: Well, it's Missouri or Missouri, depending, uh, you know, on your uh, uh, dialect or whatever. It's also
0: New Orleans.
1: What did you think of my suggestion, knowing to try to get Getty Lee on the show? Russia's Getty Lee. Oh, that'd be great. Uh, Perel, did you emphasize that we had Dennis DeYoung on when you contacted his people?
0: I certainly did, although that would have been something to remind me of before, not after. What happened
2: happened with Andrew Yang?
0: I don't know. I just emailed them and said that he was here and then he disappeared. I would imagine that his connection fell through or... um, that he'll be back because he said they said that he would be here between seven forty-five and seven fifty, and now it's seven
2: forty-eight. I have faith
1: dun. That he will be back. I, I don't think we said anything uh, that
2: way. I I I am gonna be. He couldn't have heard it anyway. I'm gonna be so disappointed if he doesn't come back.
0: Noam, why wouldn't he come back? Like on what planet would you log into a show? And then not ever show up again. Like, what could have happened between now and then?
1: A bit of a Cassandra, as you know. Um,
2: and sometimes he's correct. Is it, is it Cassandra or Cassandra? <laughs>
1: <laughs> Either way, it's kind of what you are. Um, although you were right. I mean, you know, you kept saying, you know, I always said the seller, you know, nothing can stop the seller. And you said, well, you never know. And then the pandemic came along and, and stopped everything we've got uh, i've got i
2: got uh, an email recently. yeah all right uh.
0: thank you thank you hello everybody um, hi yeah. alex who's alex summer alex hey. is um my new friend who works with mr andrew yang okay. hi
3: you just sorry
0: alex.
1: yes alex. how are you you're on the air you're, or whatever this is you're on the internet
0: hi, hi. Alex.
3: Hey, how's it going? So, Andrew's in and out.
0: Yeah, well, he came in and then he disappeared.
3: Let me f- track him down. Sorry, he was coming from the uh, Rockaways.
2: That's okay. We 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 can edit this, so it doesn't matter. And and we will.
3: Please do.
1: Katty Lee. The reason one of the I mean, obviously, he's a huge he's a huge star, but. One of the reasons I wanted Getty on is because Noam was talking about how Seinfeld has to deal with fans all the time. Yeah. yeah. Getty did an interview where he said that one time after a show, there were a bunch of fans waiting for him and he, he kind of snuck out the back and he said he felt guilty the whole way home and vowed never to do it again. And from now on, he always... Uh, but he's
2: Canadian, isn't he?
0: I think he, Andrew's here.
2: He Canadian. They're very nice.
0: I have, a, I have to tell you guys um, something after. Remind me about... Jeremy.
2: Yay! Andrew Yang! That's <laughs> right! <laughs> What's up, everyone? Uh, Andrew,
0: hey, everyone.
2: We are so happy to meet you. Go ahead, Dan. Do your quick uh, intro. I do the introductions on this
1: show, and I do them quite well. So uh, I will do it now. Andrew Yang is a New York City public school parent, business owner, and activist. He's running for mayor to help the city recover after having successfully run a top education company a nonprofit recognized by President Obama and building an anti-poverty movement during his presidential campaign. You remember his presidential campaign. He made, uh, he, he was a big supporter of a universal basic income and his fans were called the Yang Gang, I believe.
4: Yes, Yang Gang, I love you. you know, hey everyone, it's great to be here. Uh, I, and I love what you all do too. Um, live comedy is so important, not just in New York City, but, uh, to the country and the world, and you all truly are one of the temples to live comedy. So let's get the temple open and filled with uh, whoever attends temples. <laughs> worshipers. <laughs> My
2: people do.
1: The temple is open, but it's open at one-third capacity.
4: Well, we have to do everything we can to change that um, based upon, frankly, people getting vaccinated uh, and the data uh, showing that it's safe for us to get more people um, into theaters and clubs. And I think we're getting there very quickly. I don't know about you all. Who's Who here has been vaccinated?
1: I have been vaccinated with the infamous Johnson & Johnson vaccine. You uh.
4: can still raise your hand, my friend. That's, va- that's vaccination. Um, so, so we've all been vaccinated. And the, uh, every passing day, more of the people I run into and have meetings with say, hey, I've been vaccinated. You vaccinated? So if we keep this up, I think clubs are going to be at more than a third capacity in no time.
2: I think well, they, I think they're going to start the uh, um, uh, extending the curfew in a very short amount of time too. So, Mr. Yang, so I'm the owner of the Comedy Cellar as well, and I'm a longtime New Yorker, and of course, uh, as a small business owner, I'm I'm very um, I, I'm very concerned about who's going to be mayor, and I I'm leaning very much towards supporting you, mostly because I I read you as a not extremely ideological, practical person who will call people into the room, listen to reason, and try to make uh, the, the best choice um, uh, for, for policy decisions. Is that a fair way
4: to, to describe you? That was so spot on that we should use that for a TV ad. Um, it should be like Andrew Yang, not terribly ideological, <laughs> will listen to reason, get people in the room, and try and make the most reasonable policy decision. The, the end. End. Andrew Yang for mayor. Yang
2: and, for and, and, you know, one of the things I would measure, like people I, I would support is uh, how much are they aware of the law of unintended consequences? How much are they able to realize that whatever they think is the right thing to do, there's all sorts of ways it can backfire. Even like, I'll go way back, the seatbelt law. Seatbelt law, I was never particularly for it because it was just another way for cops to pull people over, right? And here we are now seeing uh, everybody coming around to the idea that, pulling people over is, um, is, is fraught. So
4: uh, I, to, I completely understand the law of unintended consequences. And you get a group of people together in a room and they think, Hey, here's a good idea. And it seems like a good idea, but then you do it and you translate it to the real world. And lo and behold, like all sorts of stuff happens. Um, and one of the contexts you understand that uh, and very naturally known, because you run a business, and so you make decisions uh, every day. I ran a small business here in New York City, and if you run a small business, then you know it's all about the concrete, the real, the practical, the, like, what will actually work for the person who you have in front of you, you say, hey, you're going to do this, like, you know, you can have some idea. The problem in an uh, environment like city government is, like, you make a rule uh, four levels up in a boardroom and then like the impact gets felt miles away. And then the person who made the rule up is like nowhere near the scene. <laughs> that's exactly <laughs> right.
2: That, that's no, exactly right. He, there's so many well-intended laws that we live with uh, that, that, that we just know the people who made these laws had no idea what they were doing. It just, they just don't work in real life. Go ahead, Dan, go ahead. Ask your question. I want to rapid fire a bunch of questions because we ask, haven't gotten well, much I time. Ask
1: you know, will you actually vote for uh, Andrew Yang? Because Andrew Noam, uh, he he loves to talk about politics. He doesn't get out and vote typically. I
2: will vote. I will vote for mayor. Uh, there's very few elections where it uh, seems like a f- um, my vote counts. And I think I, this... Is a Your vote's going to count this time for yeah. sure,
4: No, And everyone listening to this, the primaries on June 22nd and early votes start June 10th. So it's imminent. Um, but if enough New Yorkers get out and vote, we can truly turn the page. The truth is that only 24% of registered uh, voters have voted in past elections. And so you wind up with results. Like de Blasio, uh, I think he got something like 280,000 votes in one of his winning campaigns. And that's out of a city of 8.3 million. So if you do the math on that. That's insane.
1: I don't think I've ever actually voted for mayor. I usually just vote for the presidential election and whoever else happens to be running at that time
2: I, I voted i voted for giuliani not bizarro giuliani that's alive and kicking today but the but the old giuliani who is hard to believe is the same uh, flesh and blood but uh well dan
4: you're totally normal about three quarters of new yorkers also don't vote in the mayoral but we have to change that this time because like i yeah. said like this is the election like it, like we better fucking vote this time yeah
1: dan i i voted sticker
4: You know, let's get those stickers. Get those stickers, people. Let's get on to the question. So
2: so, he wants to ask his question. So go ahead. Our, our, uh, you know Tyler Cowen, the economist, correct? Yes. He suggested a question to me. He said, do you think that, uh," this wasn't his exact words, is being mayor of New York the second hardest job in the country? And uh, why do so few mayors become president?
4: Uh, I think that this is going to be one of the most challenging jobs in the country for sure. And I think even if you do a good job, someone's going to be pissed off at any moment in time. <laughs> <Yeah>. <laughs> you know, like like the, A lot of the job is going to be uh, having the conviction to push through things when some folks are mad at you. Uh, and I, I should say I'm completely focused on getting New York City back on its feet. Uh, like no one should do a job thinking about anything else but the job they're doing, particularly in this kind of situation.
2: Do, do you so think, wait, lot- Dan? Let me. I'm, I'm sorry, Dan. Had a good question. Go ahead. So, so, and then, I, uh, so, um, you said something in one of the presidential debates that didn't get much attention, but it spoke very loudly to me. And this is almost like a a, a fantasy coming true to get to be able to ask you about it. You said the following: that it was about education. The data clearly shows that 65 to 70% of our students' outcomes are determined outside of the school. We're talking about time spent at home with parents, words read to them when they're young, stress levels in the house, income type and in neighborhood. We're putting money into schools and educators know this. We're saying you're 100% responsible for educating your kids but you can only control 30%, they all know this. The answer is to put money directly into the families and neighborhoods to give our kids a chance to learn and our teachers a chance to teach. What were you getting at there?
4: Just facts, man. I mean, the, the data clearly does show that two thirds of educational outcomes are determined by out of school factors, primarily what's happening in the household and educators do experience this every day where kids come in not frankly in any position to learn or condition to learn or nutrition to learn or mindset to learn i mean like kids come in traumatized and so like uh, imagining that a teacher is just going to be there and be able to to teach uh kids effectively and equally uh is to our earlier conversation like it doesn't actually match up with the reality on the ground the reality in that classroom um, so, if we want to give our teachers a better shot at it, we have to try to do more for a lot of these kids, frankly. And there are community schools and uh, extended hours programs. Uh, the city is actually this summer launching a hybrid summer camp plus summer school, which I love. Um, that's uh, open to every New York City school uh, children ch- child. <laughs> so, uh, um, so it's just the data, like to, to your point, and. Um, you know, we, we should be investing in a hundred percent, not just the 35% or 30%.
2: Well, I've had a theory for a while that if we could just keep kids on track academically through like the fourth or fifth grade, even if we could just keep them on track until then, almost all our other problems down the road would disappear. Cause I feel like if a kid isn't on track by fifth grade, it's he, unless he's very gifted or, or some sort of outlier, you're never going to get him back on track
4: maybe a comedian, maybe a comedian can get back on track. I sense that some of these comedians didn't hit their stride until later. No, yeah, comedians and, are late bloomers, yeah.
1: It, it, the truth of the matter is, is that in fifth grade, I was set for glory, I was set for greatness. Uh, <laughs> all the teachers said that I was special uh, in, in a good way, in a, in a gifted way, rather, um, you know, and I got good grades and everything, and then just mental illness got the better of me, and I wound up being a comedian.
2: <laughs> so uh, so a anyway. unusual uh, situation. How, what, what can we do to keep these young kids, to, to raise the scores in reading and, and, and math and make them write better? What can we actually do? I'm
4: a parent myself. Anyone else here a parent? I have three. Oh, yeah. Then you know. no. So uh, any parent knows that what goes on with that child uh, starts from day zero, not when they showed up to kindergarten. You know what I mean? Like, like by right. the time they show up when they're five, A lot of stuff's already decided. And that's not, um, uh, you know, opinion, that's science. (laughs) Like a lot of that kid's development is happening. So um, the first place to start is by actually giving all uh, new moms and uh, hopefully all new parents parental leave. Uh, We're one of maybe four countries in the world that don't do that. It's common sense. The other countries that don't do it are literally something like, Swaziland and Papua New Guinea. It's like them and the United States of America. Um, so a lot of these kids are frankly getting off on the wrong foot because that their parent is being forced to balance uh, going to work and taking care of the, the child from day one, well, which- I
1: have a query with regard to that, and I think Noam's in accord with me. You're, so you're saying mandating businesses to give, to give employees leave, which sounds to me like more regulation, more red tape, more paperwork. Why not just give everybody, a, 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 as you suggested, a universal basic income, so they can decide whether to stay home with the kid or or what what, what they're going to do.
4: Well, you know, I'm for that too, Dan. But uh, I think that having a mom get time off from work uh, is common sense. You know, and this is as someone who runs a, who's run a small business and and other organizations, uh, but also as a parent. <laughs> you know, uh, it's I, like, I, it,
2: yeah, I I totally agree with you. And even as a business owner, I mean, I I always. Yes, it's it's just something um, uncivilized about a a new parent having to to go to to work. But
4: you know, like and, friends, and so no, and then it yeah. goes on from there. You know, like uh, helping people access daycare, helping people get the food that they need, like trying to make it. Because if you say you you think that if the kids like on on course in fifth grade, then we're in good shape. I happen to agree with you that if the kid is in good shape at fifth grade, like we're we're good. Yeah. Um, so that would mean starting essentially at zero. Uh, and getting them, delivering them to kindergarten uh, in in shape to learn.
2: What about charter schools? Are you you you, you favor them or not?
4: Uh, I'm generally pro charter. Uh, I'm just pro any school that delivers for our kids. There are charter schools that deliver great results and terrible charter schools. So we should yeah. get uh, you know some serious change in, in terrible charter schools. To me, it's not about the funding nature of schools. It's about results for kids. And so if a, a school is working, great, uh, and uh, that should be the standard.
1: No, I'm Marjorie, a believer that technology really isn't the issue and all this money spent on computerized classrooms is is, is not really where the money could necessarily be. Yeah. Well, the
4: Go studies have shown that technology uh, helps good schools become even better, but it does not help make a bad school good.
2: Yeah, well, I mean, I just tell you anecdotally trying to teach my kids math and um, oh, the, the,
4: oh, oh! And remote schooling is thirty to seventy percent worse than in-person schooling. So if you're a parent that hates that shit, like yeah. you're perfectly normal and sane.
2: Yeah. The, 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 they try to they they try to get my kids to do these these very slow-moving, tedious math learning things, and I'm like, and if I spend ten minutes with flashcards with them, they learn more than literally in a week of some of these apps. Now maybe that's just the growing pain of the app. Well, well,
4: well, this is the case we have to make, and this is vital for your business. It's vital for New York schools. It's better in person. Yeah. Kids learning in a classroom is better than over Zoom. People experiencing live comedy in the comedy cellar is approximately a million times better than <laughs> re re-watching some Netflix special you already saw. Um, New York City is fundamentally about us being together uh, yeah. to enjoy, to create, to work, to learn. Uh, and that has to be the case that we make over and over again. Zoom is not our friend. Uh, and Zoom is not the future of work unless we're fucked. <laughs> uh, wait, wait, wait. wait,
2: wait. What, I mean, where are you with these uh, standardized? Um, de Blasio was trying to find an angle to get rid of the uh, standardized admissions test for you know Bronx Science and Stuyvesant. That's a very that's a very hot issue in New York, and it also obviously um, implicates the Asian community directly. Where where are you on that on that whole issue? Uh,
4: I think that we should keep the these tests but supplement them with grades and teacher recommendations and essays and interviews and things that frankly most people would kind of almost assume that were already included. (laughs) And then we should expand the number of selective high schools in particular. If you have a million kids and a lot of demand. Why don't you just open new schools, uh, particularly in each borough because right now a lot of kids are commuting more than an hour each way to get to high school that's not that's not exactly great for learning i mean you know what time like these, these schools start the day <laughs> <Yeah>. <laughs> like, like these kids are, are waking up at the crack of dawn um so we should open new selective schools and then broaden the criteria
2: dan you want to say something
1: yes well you would you had said zoom is not the future so do you a lot of people are saying that because of zoom and because people are now used to working at home that the real estate market in New York for commercial, for office space is going to collapse. So I, I assume then that you you don't put much stock in that theory or do you? And if so, how? what are we going to do about that?
4: I think two things can be true at the same time, Dan, that we have to get people back to the office uh, because that's the way organizations are going to be able to grow and compete and develop. Um, but there's going to be a lot of office space that should be repurposed and looked at uh, for another need. Um, and it's going to be a very difficult adjustment. Um, we have to make that adjustment as quickly as possible. Waiting for things to snap back to 2019 is not the strategy. Uh, you know, and I'm an optimist. I'm going to make this happen as mayor. We're going to get you all and other uh, small business owners back on your feet as quickly as possible, but we shouldn't have any illusions that we're going to get 66 million tourists back in a year. Like, that. that's not the way it works. Um, you have a lot of those... Uh, people who were coming from international destinations, and that stuff's gonna be depressed for for quite some time. Um, So we have to make make big moves. And I'm a better person to make some of the moves that we need to make than these other candidates uh, in large part because I'm coming in fresh, Uh, I've run a business, a nonprofit, a movement. Uh, Like I, I understand that it's not just about government, it's about the private sector, it's about technology, and it's in particular about small businesses like yours. Because I used to to run a small business in New York City. And I know the vast majority of New Yorkers work in uh, small mom and pops. They don't work for the megacorp.
2: Um, uh, so let me ask you a question that's very, very important to me. Last summer during the BLM uh, protests, riots, whatever you want to call them, we spent some very, very stressful uh, evenings um, count, uh, boarding up the stores, uh, checking fire extinguishers, um, you know, and worrying essentially that the mayor had told the police maybe to stand down or, or, or something close to that. Now we're coming up on this Chauvin verdict. Let's just say hypothetically that there is a hung jury or I don't think acquittal is, is anywhere possible. let's say there's a hung jury and and riots um, were to break out Or, or, or let me rephrase it the night before the Chauvin verdict comes down. If you were mayor, how would you handle that? How would you prepare? And then, what would you do if violence did break out in the cities to protect businesses and people alike?
4: I mean, we have to look out for uh, folks who invested years of their their life, you know, in, in building up a business. I mean, you can't let those businesses just be uh, victimized. Uh, I mean, it's a very tough situation because there are so many people that rightfully feel passionate and angry about seeing people. Uh, people's lives being taken in a way that that's dehumanizing. Um, so legitimate protest uh, and and expressions of uh, grief and frustration, and anger, of course. Uh, you know we we of support course. them in every turn. Um, but you can't support uh, destroying people's livelihoods. You you can't uh, support um, uh, violence of any kind. Um, so you know that that's the line that you have to draw, and you have to try to make. Uh, it's clear to, to New Yorkers that we understand the difference. Yeah,
2: you know, I appreciate that answer, um, because that, that's really a, 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 a scary thought for us. Now, let's let, me, let let's lighten it up a bit. You defended our friend Shane Gillis when he got uh, in trouble for his uh, anti Asian—I don't, I don't want to say it was anti Asian—for his Asian caricature that got him fired from SNL. What's your take on all that? And let, and let me sprinkle in that just today I read that Governor Cuomo apparently said he's, he's tired of these Jews in their, in their tree houses, you know? So, it, 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 these kinds of... Um, he was referring and, that, and, to uh, sukkahs, the holidays. Uh, Sukkah, su- yeah. And, and, and just so you know, that, and I'm like, I don't really care that he said that so much. Uh, what's, how do you put these things, things in perspective? Why do you go easy on people who make remarks like that or
4: jokes? Well, I think it's different for a comedian than it is for uh, people in a lot of other situations. And... Um I was the one who was personally uh, mocked in Shane's uh, comments or joke, and like, I didn't think he should lose his job. And so I thought, well, like, let me express that. Um, and uh, um, you know, uh, I, I also wanted to set something of a uh, an example for people becoming a little bit more um, tolerant understanding and and forgiving, particularly again in a context of entertainment and comedy. Uh, you know, I mean, like comedians, toe the line for a living. Um, and if you toe the line thousands of times, uh, you're probably gonna get it wrong a few times. <laughs> and, um, but that that should be just built into the profession, uh, in my mind, as long as it's not malignant or hateful or trying to incite people to, to some kind of behavior, which I didn't think Shane was doing at all. Um, you know, and, and I, I took the time to listen to it and, uh, and, you know, and his comedy um, and I thought to myself, you know like this is not something that someone should have their uh livelihood threatened by uh you know and, and i i just wanted to share that with folks uh, you know i didn't I, I wasn't shocked that nbc did not um go along uh, with that because they hadn't invested that much in chain at that point um but uh you know i i hope that we can become more understanding of people particularly in your context
2: yeah well I, I, yeah i i um we all, we all appreciated you for that. And I was sloppy to mix Cuomo's remark in with the comedian's remark because obviously in, in one sense, they have nothing to do with each other. But the reason they were joined in my mind is because I, and I could be wrong here, and I'm definitely no fan of Andrew Cuomo. I've been, I was critical of him for a year on many of the things to do with COVID. I just think sometimes it's just simply not correct to think that because somebody's uttered some words that that's much of a window into how they really feel deeply about things, you know? I
4: hadn't heard those comments, um, but I I will say it's not great for uh, like an elected official. No, it's not, not. These these things, and the Jewish community in particular, I mean, there's been a lot of um, anti-Semitic violence, um, you know, uh, lately and also historically.
1: You know, Andrew, as a politician, or a uh, would-be politician, that the Jewish community can be a royal pain in the ass. <laughs> he can Andrew, he can. And you're yeah. going to have to deal with these people.
4: <laughs> D- Andrew, don't even listen to him. I'm yeah. a fan of all New Yorkers. I love <laughs> all New Yorkers and I I want to make the city better for all of us.
0: Can I yeah. ask a question? Please do. Um just as a born and bred and lifelong New Yorker, um I am wondering, how long do you really think it's gonna take for the city to bounce back to um, something that resembles what we knew pre-COVID, if that's something that you can answer?
4: I think it's gonna be better uh, very quickly by the spring, this spring and summer. I mean, uh, a lot of the capacity is gonna open, weather's gonna be warm, outdoor dining uh, will be back, people will be vaccinated, people will be visiting. Um, it's going to be better. Um, the the question is how much better. Uh, And then when the winter comes again and it gets cold and nasty and and, and the rest of it. Um, So it's going to wax and wane. Um, My goal as mayor is going to be to try and get our economy fully back uh, within, by the beginning of the third year. Like, uh, you know, um, two years my administration, I think it's not going to be all the way back and then hopefully by the third year.
1: What are Uh, your prognostications for it now, Andrew said we're not going to get the same level of tourism probably for another couple of years. But do you think the Comedy Theater will be able to fill up like it did? And if you know, in, in the coming year,
2: uh, well, I, I, think, I think we will for the most part. We might be lighter on the weekdays. I think, there's, I think there's two real unknowns here one is obviously tourists, and then the other is commuters. You know, how, to what extent will the, the business that commuters generate change if they're spending even three or four days a week? At, at home rather than coming in.
4: That's exactly right, Noam. What I'm hearing is that they'll spend uh, some number of days in the office. Um, I, I'm going to try everything I can to make it five days, honestly, um, because it's, it's crucial to the city. It's not just those workers. It's the security guards, cleaning staff, food truck operators, retailers, comedy clubs, etc., cetera, that, that get uh, business from the commuters. Um, so you can see where my head's at. Uh, that This is going to be my chief focus is trying to re-energize New York City. It's one reason why, frankly, I'm hanging out with you all, aside from the fact that I love comedy and I love uh, um, the the Comedy Cellar. Um, But you all are vital to New York City uh, because you all are an institution that makes New York City hip, cool, funny, culturally central. Uh, And um, we have to let people know that New York City is still fun. It's still vibrant. Uh, You can still see some of the best comedians in the world. I was just uh, at a club the other day, and freaking, you know, Dave Chappelle and Chris Rock like just uh, step on the stage and and and, yeah. and and perform, and people in the crowd were just like, oh my gosh, like you know, like this is real, it's happening. That is you, yeah. you at the comedy cell. I mean, you had nights like that a number of times, yeah. but that's also New York City anyone listening to this only in new york will this stuff happen and we're going to make it happen as quickly as possible it's probably going to happen at the comedy selling in no time
1: no one wants to clarify that that be, it's probably it's more likely to happen at the comedy cellar. uh
2: mr yang i mean oh, i didn't something... even name the club there's so there's so much uh, i'd like to to talk to you about it as a small business owner and as the owner of a comedy club and my goodness if you if you win and i hope you do uh, I I just dream that maybe I, I would someday be able to sit down and talk to you about all the issues that I think you'd be interested in to know from the, the, a small business person's so I, perspective I, I, what what's idea, been going on in New I York idea
1: for when Andrew wins comedy at Gracie. Hi.
4: Well, I'm saying comedy a comedy seller, but we're gonna like I'm going to support your industry personally uh, in part because I I do think it's so important and I love it. Um, and no, I'll give you a signal as to where my head is. We're going to declare a moratorium on fines for small businesses for one year, uh, because we need to be helping you all get back on your feet. And if you're, you know, in violation of something to say, Hey, fix it. And not like, you know, uh, okay. like, uh, try to tie your hands.
2: Since you said that, that I am I had this actually written down along that you'd be interested in this. You know, what they do quite often is that they kind of treat us like, um, cash machines they try they shake us down so for yeah, instance, you should
4: not be sources of revenue you need to be sources of economic growth and jobs let me
2: let me give you like one little example like you know the, for for years it was typical to get served a drink and the straw would have the wrapper torn yeah. off like and it's so apparently at some point the health department realized that this was uh maybe unsanitary now no no restaurant owner ever knew or had any warning that this was um uh not sanitary right yeah. so rather than your fiduciary government sending a letter to the restaurant say, listen, we want you to know that we're not, this is not okay anymore. What they do is they send the inspectors out with marching orders, and they fine everybody, but it gets worse. If you have a box of straws where they've all been pre- uh, circumcised, yeah. they gave you a, a violation for... 100 straws. No, Absolutely. that is nuts. And I have well, other stories like that. that like, that's again, what they Nome, need to stop doing. No,
4: I, again, i literally run a small business in New York City. And I promised you that kind of madness will stop under my administration. You can tell because I'm already like, look, we're going to uh, like have a moratorium in year one anyway until people get back on their feet. Um, mm-hmm. that, that's where my priorities are. Uh, I think I'm going to be a different kind of mayor. I think New York's uh, been waiting for it, and frankly, I think right now New York needs it. You asked a question. Perfect. I look forward to
2: seeing
1: you on SNL hosting. By the way, oh, that would be great. Best, best mayor host they've had, uh, even better than Koch, I think.
2: Um, you, you've, I, I presume, you've educated yourself on all the data about the uh, anti-Asian violence in New York, and you've probably read Andrew Sullivan's column about it. Have you? And um, y- you know, I, I've taken a deep dive on it, and it just seems like the real spike, the biggest obvious spike from the New York City. Um, website is actually this past month of March um, which kind of like as, it, as if almost this thing that happened at the in uh, where was the where was the shooting with, with Atlanta the, Atlanta um, uh, catalyzed some sort of reaction here but where are you sure that there is actually a spike to what extent are you sure that there's a spike and what, what will you do about it and do and you think it's white supremacy?
4: There's definitely a spike, and I, I've talked to a number of victims personally. Uh, some of whom, frankly, have never reported them, um, and, and so the incidents are real. Um, I, I can tell one story that actually, um, you know, I mean the, the, about a restaurant worker who's just you know like on the way back home and just gets punched in the face for no reason, and then is like scared to go back to work um, uh, for, for a while. Um, so that's the kind of incident that, frankly, is not going to make a headline uh, in the same way as some of the the others. Mm-hmm. Um, as to what we can do, I mean, we should dedicate resources specifically to uh, anti-Asian uh, incidents um, and try and build bonds with the Asian American community, who, frankly, you know, often don't feel any connection to uh, city authorities. But the single biggest thing we can do is get the city back on its feet, um, because the fact is. An empty subway car is a lot less safe than a crowded subway car. A well lit street where the um, you know customers uh, are walking around and the restaurants are open is a lot safer than the current one. Unfortunately, like the the single best thing we can do is actually get people back.
2: All right, and I'm not going to push you on the other stuff now because I don't think it would be fair to to um, do that when you only have a, a minute left to to stay on. So you once said that being a politician is like being a comedian. Oh How my so? gosh!
4: Like imagine. Going to small towns in Iowa and New Hampshire, and just giving a talk at uh, a cafe or a community center or someone's living room, and just doing that, you know, every night, and you hope that the crowds get bigger, and like, kind of refine what you're doing, and then you hope uh, people tell other people about you. Does this sound familiar? You go to parts of the country that you that um, you know you haven't seen, and, and frankly, don't see a lot of. Uh, different types of visitors Uh, so I did this for two and a half years uh, and it's one reason I think I I feel some connection to comedians I talk to comedians like Amy Schumer's endorsed my my, uh, mayoral campaign as an example Um, and you you talk to different comedians and they've all seen the country in a very real way because they drove around and you know like just showed up in the dead of night and then slept and then did their show and uh, everything else Um, so so they have a different uh, connection um, and mm-hmm. I've been joking and saying that I think because of the parallels, there's going to be a, a comedian who very successfully runs for office. <laughs> I don't know which one <laughs> I, yet. <laughs> I, I talk to them. I like, you know, like it, it's... Uh, so right now, according to Mike Rubiglia and Sarah Silverman, the clubhouse leader in this category is John Stewart. Yeah, well, there wasn't
1: the uh, president of Ukraine a uh, comedian?
4: Yes. That's no. what I'm talking about. The, the talents are very, very well, similar. When,
1: I mean, a lot of comedians also, I've noticed, they're just very, uh, you know, uh, rational people, not all of them, Um, but they can be quite rational. And sometimes, you know, you hear more sense from a comedian than oftentimes from a politician.
4: Comedians are in many ways the truth tellers of our time in an era when people are desperate for sources of trust and truth. Uh, you now, I know, like, that. I mean, I, I you know, I saw Chip, uh, Dave Chappelle the other day, like, I think he's one of the most trusted people in American life, truly. Um, and, and so if if you look at um, the needs that people have for someone to tell it to them straight, uh, I think Jon Stewart did that on TV for years. You know what I mean? I, you know, I, I think people today, like, you know, there are other comedians that we can all think of. Um, so... Uh, so if you're a comedian listening to this, you may have a future in politics. It's probably not the other way around. Not many politicians are very funny. So, uh, you know, I don't think it's it's coming. They're not coming to the Comedy Cellar.
2: <laughs> well, Mr. Yang, we, we, we're getting we're getting the signal that, that we have to let you go. I have, I have Maybe at some point I get to speak to you again. There's a lot of issues. Concerning... I'll come by
4: the Comedy Cellar. Oh, June that would 22nd be great. is his primary. June 12th, early voting. Let's go New York City. Let's get our city back.
2: Please do. Please do come by the Comedy Cellar. And thank you so much for for. Uh, joining us on our podcast. We really appreciate it.
0: Thank Very you. Bye. Thank you.
2: Thanks all. And
1: Thank you.
0: Are you still Thank with? Alex.
3: Thank you, Alex. Appreciate it. So is this running tomorrow? Uh,
0: yes, it it'll, it'll right. run. It'll run yes. on Sirius Radio tomorrow. And put it up on Saturday. the website tomorrow
2: too. Put it on the website tomorrow also. We'll get it up. We'll get it up tomorrow.
3: Awesome. Appreciate it. Looking forward to
2: it. You think Thank it was okay? You. It was
3: okay yeah definitely okay
1: i think it, it was about uh,
3: hair raising moments but we got i through. think
1: it was well you know my comment about the jewish community i say tongue-in-cheek but let's face it we are the people that even after moses led them out of the promised land were complaining
3: hey i'm part of the tribe i get it i, I was right there with you
1: <laughs> and some of them wanted to go back to, some of them wanted to go back to pharaoh yeah <laughs> right. so you know
3: it's all part of the new york city education what's that all part of the new york city education
2: Alex,
0: Alex, I'll email you the link when it's up. I'll talk to you.
2: Perfect. Appreciate
3: it. Thank,
0: Thanks, thank you.
2: And, th- and thank well, Mr. Yang for us, please. Yeah, absolutely. We'll do okay. it. Appreciate it.
0: Tom, I
1: think that um, yeah, I wanted, I wanted to go ahead, Dan. Sorry. I think you. I think it was as good as it was going to be. I, 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 you know, I, I think we did as good a job. That no, was as, very
2: good
3: as we and could I, have
1: done, and we. You,
3: you wouldn't have gotten that from Scott Stringer. That you would not have gotten that from Scott. We, also, we, gave oh, it no, no.
1: we made sure to inject com- the comedy perspective in there because anybody can ask, uh, you know, a mayoral candidate what they're going to do about crime, but not everybody can, you know, relate it to stand up comedy in, in a
2: way. I, I, I like him very much. I wanted to get into him at, at some point. Well, I will, that one of the, my big criticisms of uh, Bloomberg was the way he squeezed the middle class, raising parking fines. Uh, he didn't follow through with it but congestion pricing like so many things that uh, and now here we are we wake up after the pandemic and we're like "Uh oh you know we, we really do need the middle class to be able to live here yeah definitely. and um and, and somebody like bloomberg was so wealthy i don't think he meant bad he just he just didn't understand what it meant for like a plumber to get a 200 hundred dollar parking violation and then get his car towed when he's just trying to get to the next job you know totally. and and we pushed all those people out of the city and now we may need them to come back so, yeah,
3: um, really yeah. well, I mean, we'd love to do something other comedy, seller too, So maybe I
1: tell you, the guy's adorable. I don't know if I, that's an appropriate thing to say about a mayoral candidate, but let's face it. Yeah.
0: I want a I want a Yang
1: Gang sweatshirt. I'll take I a think. Yang Gang T-shirt. You know, if, if, don't if ask for <laughs> swag. What's the matter with you? <laughs> well, I would you know I need something to wear to the gym.
2: <laughs> I will I will buy you a Yang Gang T-shirt, Curiel.
3: <laughs> do. Uh, one match. Yeah.
2: All right, all right, Alex, thanks. Uh, so, Perry, we're going to sign off now, right? Okay, hey. Well,
0: Alec- Alex can sign off and we can wrap. All right.
2: Thank you. Yeah. Bye, Bye, Alex. Bye. Uh, Perry, I'll make sure to cut out this last part where I offered the room because uh, it doesn't, it's not going to look right.
0: You, so, Lou. Uh, yeah, and you're going to have to edit the video part. Yeah, I'll edit and, the video
2: part. Okay. Uh, well, I thought that went rather Send well. Send it to me tonight. I'll that just call it, well it
1: as well uh, as we could have uh, hoped for. Dan,
2: what were you thinking? What was I thinking? What? And then the Jews, he, he, can't, he can't laugh along but about he, it. I thinking
1: that he would just ignore it, but it would be a funny moment.
2: Yeah, it was, it was quite a moment.
1: <laughs> <laughs> I mean, we got to, you know, we got to spice it up a little bit. Hey, podcast at ComedySeller.com and the Comedy seller's back open. Comedy seller what, what's the website? ComedySeller.com,
2: I guess. Yes, Dan, ComedySeller.com. Hey, I never go to the website, but (laughs)
1: comedy.com. Well, I don't have to, you know, but, um, we're back, baby. Okay. Uh, And I, I'll be there Friday night at the ungodly hour of 5 PM, which, you know, it's a little early for a comedy show, but I'll be there. I'll be there and I'll bring, I'll bring my A game, even though, even though basically it's, you know, broad delight, but. All right. All right. Uh, uh, so long everybody. Bye bye.
0: Bye.